You're listening to Longwoods Radio, your healthcare source for ideas, new policies, and best practices. The following is a Breakfast with the Chief session from September 16th, 2008. The subject is governance, and speaking is Dr. Alan Hudson. This is a, a very interesting meeting. Firstly, thank you for letting me tag on to your main meeting, which uh, uh, is very good of you. It also means I look around the room and see, firstly, a lot of folks I see about once a year. wish I saw them more, so it's nice to see friends. Secondly, I also see people who are true experts on governance. Uh, let me just preface my remarks by saying I am not one of those. Uh, I will have a, make many remarks about governance. That's what I've been asked to speak about. Let me also preface my remarks by saying that although I've been a member of the OMA all my working life. I've advised the government on I speak for nobody here other than myself, uh, particularly with the OMA government negotiations ongoing and so on. Just be very sensitive about this. The, these are the musings of one person, $1.50, and that gets you a cup of coffee. So uh, just be very careful. Please don't attribute what I say to any organization whatsoever. Now, Anton, of course, had unbelievable foresight. I mean, he asked me to speak to this topic months ago, and here we are in the history of the world with some of the most spectacular governance failures we've ever seen. The question, of course, is where were the directors? Where were the directors of Lehman Brothers? Where were the directors of Bear Stearns? Presumably, the series of uh, discussions, meetings, many put on by the OHA over the last few years on government skills and uh, requirements and so on, are to prevent that question being asked in Ontario of the governors of our hospitals and the governors of our LINs. We don't want the public saying, where were the directors? Where were the directors when X patients in your hospitals were harmed last year? Where were the directors when X people were killed in your hospital last year? What were you doing? We thought you were representing the public. These discussions are best held here, probably preferably to those being held in a courtroom. So I'd imagine the question on Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, and many others will not be where were the directors, but where are the directors, because a few uh, class action suit folks would like to have a little chat with them. So I think this is all part of the heightened interest in governance and these absolutely spectacular failures means we have to look at this all over again. For years, governance has been a topic of interest. I mean, you look at the original reviews, which were mainly about the relationship of the board chair to the CEO. Should that be the same person? Should they be separate? And so on. Then, of course, there's a plethora of papers, studies, research, foreign, Enron, etc. And no doubt that will be minor compared to the plethora of data that will be coming out soon for these absolutely unbelievable governance failures. So Anton sort of worked this all out that we'd be talking about this topic today. I don't know how he did that. Uh, what I'd like to do is do three things. I'd like to talk firstly about the wait time system results, making some remarks to governments as I go, and then talk about the ER, ALC, emergency room, on the level of care issue. And then I'd like to make some remarks on governance, because that's what I've been asked to do. Those remarks on governance are based on visits to many, many hospitals over the last few years. They are absolutely my comments, plus the comments of Dr. Joe and Tripak, 
and the comments of Vince Rice was the three of us went around together and we were unanimous on virtually everything. And I've discussed this a lot with people who really know what they're talking about, like Graham Scott and Michael Decker and others. But obviously I'm not talking for them. They can all talk for themselves. So uh, I'll start uh, with the wait time piece. Uh, you recall that we were asked to bring down wait times for the big five. And just to make the point that this data is showing you the targets, this is decision to treat to treat, and this is provincial data. So this was the idea, get rid of the backlog and then hold it under the target line and try and make this line shaped like a hockey stick. Just make the point how successfully this has been accomplished. You can get a cataract around here in less than three weeks. And of course, that compares to the years that people were waiting uh, uh, at the beginning. Here's a tougher one in some ways, the hips. Same story through the line now, as you can see. Um, and just make the remark that this is an incredible tribute to thousands of nurses, anesthetists, surgeons, chief information officers, CEOs, and governors. I mean, if we only look at governors with these spectacular failures, uh, of course, gov governors and boards become very risk averse. I mean, the credit to governors of our hospitals of Linz for this incredible achievement should be stated, just as they should get credit for the other major changes that have occurred in the last decade, including a massive change from in to outpatient surgery and some other major events. Now, here's a very important slide. This is, happens to be cataracts. The line is the line I've already shown you, which is the provincial line coming down. This is the spread of the best and the worst lens. By the way, we have reams of data at a provincial lens and hospital level and at a personal level too. I'll come to that in a minute. But this is just one of those slides. So if you look at the bottom, you'll see that Windsor was the best. So interesting data. Uh, I sat in that OR to see what they were doing. And the first thing is, of course, the surgeons were not operating any more quickly than anyone else. They got through a huge number of cases before 3 o'clock. This was not a fancy emporium. This was entirely the result of very, very careful attention to flow. Uh, now, if you look at the other end, the worst one, which for a long time was the Thunder Bay area, I kept looking at this data and saying, well, aren't the boards up there embarrassed at being the worst in the province? When I eventually got there, it was quite obvious the board had never seen the data. And this is an issue which I'll bring up in a few months when we come to talk about governance and the relation of governments to data. Furthermore, once this was explained to them, you will see how rapidly they ramped down and all that was was management, better management. There seemed to be a strange idea as who owned the operating rooms for a while. There seemed to be the incorrect assumption that the surgeons owned the operating room. Of course, the board owns the operating room. Uh, this uh, distinction of being the worst is now taken over by Champlain, which is the only learn in the province, which is not below the target line. So this sort of data and the discussion of data and governance I'll come to in a few minutes. At the same time, a single IT program was put in place across the province. Don't, for heaven's sake, try and decipher this. I'll just point to some of the issues. Uh, we started with the wait time, of course, decision to treat to treat, moving back now also to measure the first wait time when you see the specialist. And then, of course, simultaneously set up metrics for efficiency, surgical efficiency programs, simultaneously set up the metrics and reporting systems 
for critical care, and of course now involved in the emergency department reporting system, adding the piece of neurosurgery, starting the measurement of alternate level of care, and the point of all this, of course, being that this is one process and one which can be expanded and which, of course, is based on the client registry. An enormous achievement led by Sarah Kramer and by the chief information officer and, of course, guided by the expert panels, whether these be ophthalmologists or orthopods and so on, so that when these systems became available around the province, the uptake was led by the expert panel folks who had helped design it, a hugely important factor in the success of this program. So here are the results. We stress the point of transparency. Look at all the standard comparisons between governance of traded companies and state-run enterprises. But one of the major criticisms of state-run enterprises is how opaque they are. Transparency, on the other hand, clearly is a key factor of governance. And here are the results. If you look at the right-hand column, just make the point, the one red there in cardiac, if you come across a bit, you'll see... Excuse me. You'll see that, in fact, 100% of cardiac are under the, under the line. They're within the target. Those numbers are world-leading, not the absolute numbers. Right? The percentage improvement in three years is what is world-leading. From a standing start, except for cardiac, an incredible achievement by the entire province, including the governors. Transparency results absolutely central. The use of data absolutely central to good governance. Governance without data in this day and age is, of course, an oxymoron. The issue of planned expansion, another key function of governance, looking to the future. The original five we were handed, moving now from cataracts to ophthalmic surgery and so on, and adding, in this case, general surgery. Another key element for governance. Remember the original criticisms of cannibalism, dispelled by key reports by Kaihai, dispelled by key reports by ISIS, and dispelled by the data we now get on general surgery, which shows that virtually all of their activity is already within target. Moving over to where we are now, you can see that we will have concluded fairly shortly all the procedures, and of course then you get onto the interesting and more difficult area of chronic disease management. So that's a very, very brief summary of one of the most successful undertakings in this province. And I boast about it for the very obvious reason that I had very little to do with it. I keep emphasizing this was province-wide, I did a bit of air traffic control, uh, but this was a tremendous exercise in governance and leadership right across the province. Let's look at the ERALC story. And by the way, that's one word. Uh, emergency room, alternate level of care. So this strategy is in three parts, right? The first part is the issue of trying to stop the wrong people getting into emergency in the first place, demand control. So the issue of cancer patients who are very sick because the medications they're on should not come back to the emergency department. They should be in a system when they get into trouble that they are cared for, amongst other things, by experts. Patients with cardiac failure who are well looked after in cardiac failure clinics don't end up and emerge with cardiac failure. Patients on respiratory problems who have asthma as well controlled don't end up in emerge. So all that side of demand control is being looked at and being budgeted and being planned. 
as well as the big issue of dropping clinics, urgent centers, as well as emergency departments. So the, the big, big segment of demand control is a very big part. There are detailed line items as we speak in a budget which is going to the Premier in about 10 days' time. The second part of the strategy is essentially what's happening in the emergency department. And I can summarize that in two frames. The first is the HR issue, particularly the number of physicians and number of nurses that are required to run an appropriate number of ERs. Do we have the right number? Do we have too many? And the second, again, comes back to flow and various techniques for improving flow through the ER. We've done trials at St. Joe's, North York General, UHN, in many instances picking up 20% with just careful attention to flow. And most of the flow issues are sort of at kindergarten level. They're not difficult. Running it properly, of course, requires a great deal of attention. The third part of the strategy is the key issue of getting the patient out of the emergency department onto the ward. They can't go there because there are no beds. 20% of the beds are occupied by people who shouldn't be there. Not their fault, of course. It's a system failure. So hence the immense emphasis required on ALC. When you look at these three components, there's no question from all the data we've got, unlike wait times, with the exception of cardiac, we had very little data. Well, ER, we have quite a lot of data. It's not very accurate, not very timely, but we do have data. The biggest issue in Ontario, the biggest factor causing prolonged wait times is this inability to get the patient out. So there you have a patient sitting for a couple of days, very, very sick, in the emergency department. That, of course, is the key issue driving prolonged wait times. The management of ALC, obviously from a government's point of view, now brings in a very interesting part because plainly it is the governance of the LIN as well as the governance of the hospital that's going to be critical to make this work. Now, I borrowed this from Barry, just uh, Royal Victorian Barry, just to make the point. You walk in the emergency department there and the notice is in front of you. The emergency department is currently carrying 24 patients needing to come in and there are zero beds. So that's great news, U25. Um, and this is incredibly sad, right? I mean, you, you walk down the corridor. I'm talking about any big, busy hospital. I'm talking about one specific hospital, same problem. Desperately ill patients, husband holding the hand of someone I thought was dying, uh, in a corridor with the janitor opening and closing a door to get his brooms out. I mean, this is not modern medicine. So this is the issue of ALC, uh, which the OHA have pointed out, is steadily getting worse. Now, for a long time, we had trouble in convincing the government that ALC and ER were linked. Thank God that battle is over. And we now have the governance issue of how does the payer influence the horizontal integration of community services with acute care services to reduce the ALC number so that we will reduce the ER wait times. That's the statement. It's not hard to understand but it requires tremendous focus of attention, particularly by the lens, and also, obviously, by the hospitals. So here are the measurement systems. Uh, the ER measurement systems are, in fact, already giving us electronic data in-house. This data is not good enough to go to the Data Certification Council, which is a godsend to this province. 
Michael Dechter, Graham Scott, Tom Clarson, that review the integrity of the data, how it's derived, sign off before it goes up on the public website. So we are still requiring several iterations to get this data together, but the intention is that the minister will announce the targets probably in December, and this will go on the public website by a hospital in February. So it's very similar to the wait time arrangement for the original program. This is an intermediate system which will give us good electronic data. We'll subsequently become more timely with the passage of time. So this is very, very good because, of course, when we have this data, we can start managing towards targets. On the other hand, the ALC piece is minimally a year behind, considering the fact there was no budget for ALC or for ALC IT, this is scarcely surprising. This was, of course, at the time when we had not yet convinced people of the link between ALC and ER. So that program is also underway, and this in turn is very much aligned with points of accountability, because obviously if you have the authority and you have the responsibility and you're accountable, you need the data stream so you can manage. And basically we are looking at two points of accountability for this program, namely the board and hence the CEO of the hospital and the board and hence the CEO of the LIN. So that's just a very, very quick sketch of where we are. And uh, let me now make some remarks about the governance issues uh, relating to all of this. Firstly, the whole issue of governance is obviously a dynamic, changing, rapidly changing, continuing to change subject. It's been our observation over the last few years that some boards have cottoned onto this, have set themselves up to lead this, to understand this, to benefit from it. Other boards sort of understand the changes in government, sort of understand the changes in the medical world, sort of understand performance management, sort of understand uh, IT, but in fact don't move too fast and frequently are blocked by the medical profession. And then there are a few boards who don't get it at all and just have the simple fallback, tell the government to give us more money. Now, a couple of years ago, Hugh McLeod and I had addressed the OHA board and I made the remark on this topic that in my view about 50% of the boards of the hospitals were not up to the task in this province. There was a bit of a hushed silence. Everybody looked at Hugh McLeod, representing the government, to contradict me. He was silent. He agreed. Now, I believe that, thankfully, we would not be able to make that remark today because I really congratulate the OHA and many, many others for the huge efforts being made to upgrade concepts of governance, training of governors, selection of of uh, trustees and so on. Uh, but nevertheless, we still have quite a few questions. So what are the questions we ask each other on the plane coming back or on the car? The first question is, who on earth is running this place? It's not clear. I'm talking about the, the boards uh, that we weren't too thrilled with. Uh, but the board's sort of saying, well, of course, I, they're sort of running part of this. I guess the government's running part of this, and I guess the doc's running part of it. Unbelievable. I mean, plainly, there's only one entity running the place. That's the board. Uh, that lack of understanding of the function of the board, the responsibility of the board, the accountability of the board, 
uh, hopefully has been overcome by the lot of the great publicity and the great training programs that have been put in place. The next thing we just couldn't believe was the lack of the use of data by boards to help them in their governance function and to help them oversee management and their management function. I mean, as recently as about six weeks ago, I gave a major address uh, to Alin, who was before, actually last in every single category. And I can tell when I'm talking to people right away, they've never seen this data before. This has been on a public website now for three years. And at the end, every board member quietly came out to me and said, thank you for telling me this. I had no idea it was this bad. We're going to fix it up. How is it possible they didn't know? Now, I make no excuse for using access data as part of this discussion because access data, of course, is absolutely central to quality. But, of course, there's data all over the place, whether it's from CHI-HI, from ISIS, from OHA, and so on. This makes a very interesting issue for the board because I think I've seen several boards overemphasizing dashboards. I'm very much in favor of dashboards, don't get me wrong, but no dashboard by any manner of means covers the entire function of board responsibility or manager responsibility. So it's tick, 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 tick on the, okay, well, let's move on. We're doing fine. The dashboards that we're doing make fine. I think it'd be very, very interesting if in fact the OHA or some other group now looked at the half dozen failures of governance CO in this province, maybe getting the inspectors or the folks who did the investigations to get together to tell us what happened. Because when you read some of the published reports, the board thought the hospital was doing fine, presumably on the data the CO was giving them. Boards plainly need access to a lot more data than that by and large, board members are not PhDs in statistics, but they need to have a subcommittee looking at all the data, comparing the hospital to their peers, comparing the hospital to provincial averages. How are we doing? We have internal aspirations, but what are the external managements? So the lack of the use of data that is available, uh, we found quite astounding. And of course, even more frightening, not understanding what data they needed which is not available. I'll come to that in a few minutes. The whole issue of transparency of the hospital's data is a key part of modern governance. And you'll see the good hospitals have their own websites with their own data up, the good, the bad, the ugly, a key part of running the place. What was the next thing that astounded us? And you can gather we were astounded quite frequently. <laughs> the Next piece, of course, was the whole issue of quality and safety. Uh, in talking to boards on quality and safety, uh, I could just see pupils dilating. This was sort of new. So when I said, um, you know, you do understand in this province, you can have your lung out at a 3% mortality at Hospital X and at a 14% mortality at Hospital Y, I know the difference. I know which of the hospitals you don't. Do you know what the mortalities are in your hospital? They look at me with surprise. Who do you think is in charge of quality in your hospital? Oh, well, we sort of think that maybe the docs are. Well, very, very, very plainly the board is. Um, so why standard thing I'd say to them? You have good ophthalmic surgeons on your staff. Oh, yeah, they're terrific, world famous. Everybody's world famous, by the way. Uh, so I say, okay, just tell me the percentage improvement in visual ability following cataract surgery in your hospital that you are governing 
last year. Dead silence. They haven't got a clue. How can you run the place if you don't have the results? How can you run the place if you don't even understand you don't have the results? The other next piece on the list of things that surprised us was the relationship of the board to the CEO, which was extremely variable, to put it very mildly. The relationship of the board to the CEO, the relationship of the CEO to the board. This is absolutely critical. I mean, the board function is to own the vision and the major policies and the strategies to achieve them, secondly, to oversee management, and thirdly, to hire and fire the CEO. That latter part is absolutely critical. In the well-run hospitals, a very smooth relationship of mutual trust plus the key fact that the CEO works for the board and the board has to have oversight on the function of the CEO. Speaking conceptually that the board only has one employee, the CEO, the CEO in fact employs everybody else. I'll say a few more words of that in, in, in a moment. Um, another huge area of surprise, which I'm going to speak about in a few minutes, is quite apart from the issue of technology and IT and the lack of data and the lack of use of data, is the whole issue of the relationship of the board to the caregivers. And to be frank about it, it's primarily the relationship to the docs. I'm going to say a few words about that in a few minutes. Another issue which came up, which caused significant surprise to us, is the ARA, right? The authority, responsibility, and accountability. Those three elements must be together very, very specifically when it comes to regards to LINs. Very, very specifically when it comes now to this key point of horizontal integration between the LINs and the hospitals. What is the ARA of the government? What is the ARA of the LIN? What is the ARA of the hospital? What is the ARA of the CCAC? I mean, folks, we've been at this for three years now, and I appreciate LINs are evolving, and I appreciate we need to know what a LINs are going to look like in 10 years' time. But I also know what the Toronto Hospital looked like three years after the Toronto Western General merger. I also know what UHN looked like three years after the PMH merger and several other issues. It's probably timely to review now, as very, all the other provinces have done in regionalization and so on, at three years, how are we doing? Uh, and how are we doing with regard to those key issues of in what areas does the LIN truly have full authority to do what they like, and in what areas do they follow the direction of the central government? I mean, confusion on this point is not helpful when we're trying to undertake this massive issue of getting ER wait times down. Confusion of the relationship of CACs to LINs is not helpful. Well, you ask something that was perfectly obvious legislation, CCACs report to the LINs. You speak to several LINs, you speak to several CCACs, that's not particularly clear. Why you'd have two purchasing agencies together, I'm not quite sure, a LIN and a CCAC, etc. So timely, with all these things, it's probably worth a little review at this time. Another issue which came up repeatedly, and of course I'm always talking now about the hospitals that we thought weren't doing so well. So I take it for granted the superbly run hospitals exist. And that was the skill set of board members. Uh, I mean, what are we looking at here? We're looking at governing complex, difficult to understand organizations. We're looking at frequently governing and managing very large sums of money. 
if people are uncomfortable doing those two things, it's a bit difficult to understand how they're going to function as board members. You look at the skill sets required on a board, whether these are legal, financial, real estate, understanding of community affairs, etc., so that each of the board members can assist the board in the discussions of this area, not as representative boards, so that they can coach the CEO, so they can coach senior management. And quite often those skill sets are not very apparent to people like myself visiting hospitals. Uh, I'm not quite sure how you're supposed to function in that situation. Uh, in fact, if you cannot plainly look at a Lynn board and see a couple of people who are truly superbly expert in finance and superbly expert in large organizational behavioral change and so on, it's difficult to know how they're going to function. The whole issue of the fact that the governors govern, they are not qualified to manage. If they were, they should be the CEO. Uh, is quite obvious. It's sometimes not well understood by many boards. And, of course, in Linz, we have a different style where on occasion directors bill up their own hours to confuse the CEO and undercut the CEO. So interesting models, interesting models of non-expert people on these boards, and probably in line with the whole concept of, you know, three years down the line, this may have been useful in a setup situation, maybe we should understand this a little better and maybe review how these things work, but probably quite a timely uh, thing to do at the present time. Finally, make a general remark on the issue which when you look at all the standard comparators between publicly traded companies and state-run enterprises, everyone remarks on the huge detriment of political interference with state-run enterprises. It's certainly been my impression that's not the case. Obviously, there's some politics involved in this, but by and large, whichever government's in play, uh, and in this particular government, I'm not a politician, as you know, I've been very impressed, in fact, a little bit surprised, at the lack of what I would call political interference with what's going on. So that's a very positive note. Let me uh, say a few more words about the, the issue of the board and the CEO. We're certainly looking at the issue of mutual trust and well-run hospitals. That's absolutely apparent. The key question of the board is, do you have confidence in the CEO? That's the key question. I mean, for all the CEO assessments, there's one question at the end. Do you have confidence in the CEO? If you don't... Why is she there? There's also an interesting question to ask the CEO, do you have confidence in the board? Let me give you some examples of these disconnects which I find are very dangerous. There's one place far north, and it's very common, you know, there are a lot of hospitals being merged, being put into new institutions and so on. I went to a celebration, a big celebratory event. I was the sixth and last, appropriately the last speaker on that day, and five people spoke and the name of the CEO did not cross their lips. The first thing I got up and said, I'd like to congratulate the CEO on what they've done. Obvious disconnect between the board and the CEO. Um, i give you another example. I had a phone call a year or so back from the chair of a board from further north. Uh, You're taking our money away. I said, yes, I am. Why is that? Well, I said, well, you know, you've got a contract which was to do more cataracts and to put in the EMPI and to put in the IT system. You've done the former, not the Latin. You've broken the contract, taking money away. You know what he said? What contract? I mean, you have got to be kidding. So I said, well, maybe you should ask your CEO to tell you about the other contracts you signed them on your behalf, particularly the contracts in which there are some problems. I mean, I'm not going to get into the mechanics 
of an annual agenda so that you cover all your insurance, at least at one meeting you cover all the other things I mean and so on. But you would have thought that any contract signed on behalf of the board, particularly if they were in trouble, would have been brought to the attention of the board. So I said to him, well, I'll ask your CEO to tell you about the other ones he's in trouble with. And uh, that CEO is now actually not working there anymore. Um, I think it would be very, very useful on this issue of the board and CEOs uh, to look at the half dozen failures in the last year or so in this province. Get the Graham Scotts, get the others who have been doing this work here and say, tell us what's been the problem. It, whatever happens, it's a board responsibility, right? If the problem is with the CEO, they're employing the CEO. Some of the boards thought they were doing fine. They were doing terribly. How did that happen? I think we get a lot of information from that, understanding our own circumstances uh, and why, on occasion, boards have to be replaced, as well as CEOs. Let me just make another point here, and that's the selection process. I advised George repeatedly, to zero effect, that the government should have a representative on every search for every hospital CEO. In other words, the search should ask the government to put someone on that search process. Obviously, they're not going to run the search. They're going to be one vote amongst many. But the point of the relationship with the CEO of the government is absolutely crucial. And, of course, much as I hear the CEO's remarks about the government when I'm going around, believe me, I also see the government's opinion of CEOs from the other side of the street. There are two CEOs of LINs available right now. I think those LIN search committees should ask the government to have an individual on that search committee. And when that successful candidate emerged, they will know there was someone who was watching that side of it. Let me turn now to another fundamental element of, I think, just frank lack of understanding, and that's the relationship between the board and the medical profession. I won't use caregivers because the problem is primarily the docs. Um, whether I am in Norway, Sweden, England, doesn't where I am, regardless of the insurance, the payment methods, you ask any of the folks involved in these big transformation projects, what is your biggest barrier? It's always the same, the physicians. Very interesting, huh? Bright people resisting change. Um, interesting to understand why. Um, well-run hospitals always have well-run staff. But in those situations, there's always a pretty clear-cut expectation as to what the functions of the chief of staff are and what the functions of the department heads are. Weak boards, weak management gives strong unions. I find that many boards don't understand the enormous changes occurring in the medical profession now, which are very, very much to the point of their governance responsibilities. What are these? The first, of course, is democratization of knowledge. See, when I grew up, I learned a lot of secret stuff, which none of you guys knew. Huh? And I used a secret language. Most of you couldn't understand what the heck I was talking about. Secret tie, secret handshakes. This is what constituted the profession. Everything I know, you know. Just go on the web and read it, right? Huge change, huh? Huge change for the legal profession. Huge change for many other people, but particularly for medicine. The power structure, when you think of it, changes pretty quickly. Another massive change, and this is absolutely critical for boards, right, is that the move in the medical profession, in medical services, is to consumerism. This is the only 
program in the world set up to suit providers. I mean, every other system, airlines, banks, retailers, it's set up to suit the customers. That huge shift is occurring very fast. I lived my entire life. The world was set up to suit me, the neurosurgeon. The moment it started changing, I quit. <laughs> Boards are, in part, blackmailed by their physicians. If you don't do this, I'm leaving. Seem to leave a lot of stuff to physicians. Um, and the whole move now is to what is good for the patient, what is good for the customer, and the whole move now is to performance management. So I, again, I bring this up at, uh, at, you know, after the meeting, you're having a chat, somebody limps up, what's happened? I just, as a board member, just had my hip done. And I say, oh, you know, so I know most, I say, who did it? They tell me, and he's, oh, I researched my surgeon very carefully. So what do I do? I collapse with laughter. You don't know his results. You don't know his complication rate. You don't know his infection rate. You don't know his readmission rate. You know nothing about him. Would you buy a house this way, not knowing the roof, the plumbing? <laughs> Obviously not. So the move now is the performance management of everybody, including the medical profession. And people who get all these changes embrace it. I'd love people to know my results. I actually published a book 14 years ago about the results of peripheral nerve surgery. Why? Because I want to do better. I'm not shy about people knowing my complication, right? Happy to have it. Furthermore, we are plainly moving to this being public knowledge. The people who are paying for this want to know. So you're not just going to see the wait time result for the hospital, but now we've already told the orthopods and the, and the ophthalmologists we want to see the results of hip surgery and we want to see the results of cataract surgery, just for starters, then that will go up alongside, alongside the wait times. So the, the, these mammoth changes towards performance management are not appreciated and the country argument we heard over and over again is, well, you can't do that. That will interfere with the physician's autonomy. I said, no, no, no. That is the entire point. We are interfering with the physician's autonomy. That's what this is all about. I just looked. I, my car goes 250 clicks. I did not come down here at 250 clicks. I accept a speed limit. I accept that imposition on my autonomy for obvious reasons. All good physicians understand when you introduce systems and measurements and performance measurement that we are thereby eventually going to help patients and provide better care. Only some try to block it. But if the board doesn't understand this, you might remember the key axiom. The change is from deference to data. Show me your results. Show me your complication rate. Show me your costs. Show me your efficiency. And I, as an individual, as a department, as a whole, so I, as a governor, can start deciding whether you're any good or not. The other point is to look at whose interest this is, besides the patient's interest. No good hospital in the modern era, with more and more going on the public website, wants to have poorly performing physicians on the staff. No good physician wants to work at a poorly performing hospital. It's in the common interest to have this material measured and put out in a transparent way. The issue that boards do not directly govern physicians and hospitals, and as boards of Linz are discovering, have no governance over primary care, has been debated many, many times. But you need to bring it to debate, particularly in the Linz, because how do you 
embark on all these major changes without the key interrelationship with the primary caregivers. We're in these discussions now with them, but the bottom line is you cannot put systems in play when providers provide services when they feel like it, how they feel like it, and if they feel like it. I don't do Friday nights. I don't do obstetrics. I don't do this. I don't do palliative care. More and more boutique industry. You can't run a system that way, obviously. So the whole issue of governance of primary care needs to be debated. By the way, in all these issues, these are meant to be issues for debate, but they have to be resolved. There's no one right answer, and we need answers that everyone can live with as we move along. So I think that probably is towards the end, but we want to leave time for some questions. Um, this is a rapidly changing world. Let me thank all citizens who go on boards to become governors. Uh, this is obviously a very difficult task. It's going to get far more difficult the next few years as we reach the Ontario financial issues. The fact that, particularly on these boards, you have conflicting policies, some directed financially, some directed to quality, some, you know, you're very much aware of this. The ethical basis of resource allocation by a board requires a lot of discussion. Very difficult thing to do. Are we going to back this or back that? Let me thank you for taking this on. Let me thank you very much for understanding the full responsibility that you've taken on and the fact that you are completely accountable to your fellow citizens. That's why you're there. I think it's marvelous that you would take this on. I think it's marvelous that you'd improve your own skill sets. And as you can hear from my remarks, I think there's a lot of room for improvement in Ontario. And thank you very much for helping us solve that problem. Thank you. Dr. Alan Hudson is the lead of access to services and wait times for the health results team of the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care. This has been Longwood's Radio. Thanks for listening.